Good morning and welcome to Emmanuel this morning and to this time of worship. A special welcome to the uh, Kaivenhoven family and friends who've gathered for the baptism and for all our guests and visitors today. We trust that this will be a time when God moves by his spirit to inspire and challenge and work through us all. And so uh, let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we gather in this place, we come anticipating, we come fearful, we come with joy, we come with sadness, but we all come to you. And so we just simply pray that you would meet us here as we are and draw us into yourself, that we may meet your loving, gracious, compassionate self in this time. And so we pray through the music through the prayers, through the preaching, through the reading, through our offerings, through all that takes place in this time. Speak to us of your grace. As we pray in your holy name, amen. So our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 16. I sent out four passages, but this is the one that I will read in the service today. Matthew 16, and I'll read 21 to 28. Hear the word of God. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. So Friday was Remembrance Day, and um, I was working here, and so when the school that meets here during the week had their Remembrance Day assembly, Leslie and I uh, participated in that. Klaus was better than us, so he went all the way downtown to the Cenotaph, but we stayed here and participated in this context. Klaus wanted me to tell you that. And uh, (laughs) so while we're here, I was listening to their assembly, and and a couple things struck me. One is that, of course, we remember those who suffered and gave their lives for our freedom. Right? Yesterday we had the memorial for uh, Rob Williamson's father, Ken. Right? And Rob certainly talked about his father's sacrificial way of living. Right? And when we think on Remembrance Day, what an incredibly Jesus-like thing to do right? to offer your life. And what really struck me as I was listening this year to the assembly and thinking about Remembrance Day was these were people, young men, boys really, who... Hi, Tom. Pastors show up in my service. I have to name them in the middle because I just suddenly saw him and it totally throws me off because now I'm scared because Tom's listening to me preach. No problem. I'm okay. So 
as um, what was I talking about? <laughs> Thank you. As, well, you guys are really listening. I love that. As as I was listening, I'm thinking these were these were boys who were allowed to go say when they're 18, but they would try and sneak in earlier because they so badly wanted to serve in that way. Like these are kids younger than all of my kids. And they wanted to go to war. And as I thought about it, I thought, sitting there with a school full of kids in front of me, I don't think we live in that world anymore. Struck me. They had a striking willingness and eagerness to serve. And now we're talking about Alpha. It was introduced at the beginning by Leslie. We saw the video during the offering. Those little question marks there, I had to put them in earlier because I'm not really that good at PowerPoint. Those are the symbol of Alpha, the newfangled symbol of Alpha. The video you saw, by the way, um, if you heard at the beginning, if you've done Alpha before, that voice is Nikki Gumbel. He's the voice of Alpha. And if you did Alpha back in the day with me, all you saw was Nikki's face talking to you, and then they'd show different angles. But it was, you know, it was good old school talking head. Now it's just like what you saw in that preview. It's all kinds of different people. There's interviews, and there's all kind of action and motion because it's actually directed at young adults, all right? So if you're under 30... You really need to think about going to Alpha because I have this question for you. Does it actually appeal to your age group? All right, so if you're under 30, you have an assignment. Come to Alpha for this express purpose. Last as long as you can saying, does this actually speak to you? Okay, because that's my question. Thank you. So Alpha asked two really basic questions early on in the journey. One is, is there more to life than this? Because you can imagine if, if you were a 15, 16-year-old not allowed to be in the war, but deciding I'm going to sneak off and try and get in anyways, you must have in mind deeply in your soul that there's got to be more to life than this. That there's something worth fighting for. There's something worth putting my life on the line for. There must be more than this. Right? And we live in a world that I believe is rather numbing. We live in a world where there's so much entertainment and activity and stuff that's, that's there to keep us from really thinking, is there more than this? Ask anybody in this room, anybody in our culture right now, how are you doing? Number one answer is either fine or I'm busy, right? We're busy. We had a professor in seminary, I'll never forget his answer, and we talked about how busy we were because we didn't want to do his assignments, of course. And he said, I'm pretty sure we all have the same 24 hours. There's only one question, how are you going to spend it? That's memorable right? We're all busy. I'm busy eight hours a day sleeping. I'm very busy, right? But I'm sleeping. The question isn't, are you busy? You can be busy sitting around. You can be busy doing nothing. Well, men can. Women are always doing something, right? That's how your mind works, right? Men can actually think about nothing. I learned that about 10 years ago. We can just sit there and think about nothing. Isn't that amazing? It's impressive. We're glad, right? We're busy doing something. The real question is, Is there more to life than this? Is what I'm doing what's essential? And the second question is, who is Jesus? Of course, these are connected. What in the world does Jesus have to do with the meaning of life? All right? So a lot of us live in this really dangerous circumstance. We were brought up and born into the church community, right? Your son, Tyler, has got this disease. It's called being born in the church. And being born in the church does this sometimes. It inoculates us. It's like a vaccine 
against getting who Jesus really is. I've told you a bit of the story before. When I was being examined to become a pastor, I almost failed because I kind of forgot about Jesus in my sermon. And Tom can tell you that, right, one thing you need to know in your sermons when you're in seminary is that you've got to put Jesus in there, right? Why did I do that? Because I had grown up in the church, and so Jesus was so obviously in there for me, and I'd been trained so many extra things during seminary that I actually forgot the real basic question, what does Jesus have to do with this? All right? We can easily, growing up in the church, be so used to the fact that Christianity and this stuff is part of our life that we lose touch with the really powerful question, who is this Jesus? And what does he have to do with the question of the meaning of life? Just so you know, this is going way better than I expected it to so far. So, Remember how last week and the weeks before we did really tough topics like homosexuality and addiction right, and mental illness and abuse, right? So I was really, really scared coming up here this week that it's going to be like, oh, I've really got nothing to say. But guess what? As intriguing as those questions are, this is a far more important question because this is the baseline question. This is the question that informs all of those other areas, right? Why do we treat people who are homosexual? Why do we treat people who've experienced abuse? Why do we treat people who have mental illness the way we do? Because Jesus was a suffering servant. Because Jesus came to give his life for us. Jesus, on the cross, quotes the lamenting psalmist. And this is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. So Jesus came into this world to experience with us the pain and suffering of this world. And on the cross is the ultimate moment of him experiencing that and quoting Psalm 22, the cry of lament, the cry of pain. But he does that even as he embodies God's very response. For he, God, has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Jesus is both the experience of our suffering and the answer to it. All right? And as a result of that, there's a dual result in Psalm 22. First one is poverty relief. The poor will eat and be satisfied. When God enters into people's suffering, things like poverty are reduced. I'm thinking, and just thinking about it at this point, of next August participating in the Sea to Sea um, ride. The ride of the Sea to Sea this year is for poverty relief. All right, And this is a great way for us to be able to say, However you do this, wherever your passion is for relieving, relieving poverty, let's find a way to participate in service. And the idea, of course, of the C2C is that they should do it really much shorter because then it would really be a better experience of this. You're meant to suffer on the way to have an experience of what it is like to follow Jesus into suffering. All right. So Ed and I have talked about this. We think they should do it instead of in nine weeks, they should do it in like four weeks because then you would suffer. Because right? then you'd have to ride really hard. Then you'd experience it as, wow, why, am, why in the world am I doing this? All right? And I've talked to a few people who've done this, and even in the pattern that they're using now, you're on that road and you're thinking to yourself, why in the world am I biking in the heat against the wind all day long for days, day after day? And the answer is because I want to be in solidarity with people in this world who suffer, because that's what Jesus did. The second result 
is praise. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation will bow down before him. I have this awesome privilege of going to McCarty Court on your behalf with you, right? And I get the emails in response. I get emails. You saw the one in the uh, bulletin from Melissa St. Martin. That's about our helping her with, with her child, Avery. But she also sent me a note on behalf of the other residents of McCarty Court for whom we did some painting and some helping out, right? And she just said, we just appreciate you guys so much, right? When I go to the leadership meetings of the parent group, right, and we talk about this Christmas store, at the end of the Christmas store, they're all going, it is so nice that your community, right? And they basically know me and a few other people. They don't know all of you. They just think, who is this strange anonymous community that gives wonderfully to us when they don't even necessarily know who we are then they praise and they recognize because we represent church we represent christ and they honor him now i'm going to turn to isaiah chapter 42 where again we hear about jesus as a suffering servant and he's a servant he's both strong and sensitive isaiah 42 says here's my servant whom i'm up whom i uphold my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nation. So here's that image of, of God's spirit upon this servant, empowering him to bring justice and heal things and fix things. And it carries on it. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. God, in Jesus Christ, comes with an incredible amount of power, but also with love and compassion and sensitivity. Right, The call of us to embody Christ then is also to come into this world with a sense of authority that the things that are not right in this world, we have a call to make a difference in those places and make things right. You may have remembered in the last number of weeks, I've been kind of challenging us not to think about heaven as that place where we go after we live here, but heaven to be that place that we build as God's kingdom here on earth. That the final picture is really the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven and God coming and dwelling with us here. And what he's telling us to do right now is start preparing the way. Start preparing the way. Start making this a place where my kingdom is felt and experienced, where justice is done, where love is shared, where forgiveness happens, where healing takes place. And we do that when we bump into a bruised reed, a broken person, a hurting person. And we help them and we love them, and we carry them. We have, you know, an incredible opportunity to do that again this week when Karen and Sean and Gail Long gather in this place at 11 o'clock on Friday morning. They will be bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, and they will need our loving compassion to surround them and to love them. And the dual result in Isaiah 42 is light and sight. Cool, not just because they rhyme. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the peoples and a light for the Gentiles. Right? Again, as we follow this suffering servant, as we enter into suffering service ourselves, we become a light. People notice. It starts to shine. People take note of that. And secondly, the call to open the eyes of the blind, the free captains from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Again, the call of the church to spread the good news that Jesus is here, that he's the light. We're coming up to Christmas. That's the time of light. 
but also to enter into places of brokenness and ask, how can we bring healing? What can we do to help? So Matthew 16, the passage that I read, gives us Jesus' role. So Jesus says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus says to them basically, I've come to be a suffering servant on your behalf. What is our reaction? And by our reaction, we're jumping in with Peter. I know, if you again, if you grew up in the church, when you read passages, you kind of associate yourself with Jesus. You say, me and Jesus think this, and people like Peter, they say these crazy things. The proper way to read the Bible, by the way, is to hang around with Peter. He's speaking on your behalf, okay? This is what, Jesus, what Peter says for us. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I'm not letting you go to that cross. Right? If you pause for me, you can think, of course, that's exactly the response. I'm not going to let you suffer. Because we don't want to see people suffer. We want to see people happy and joyful and in a good place. Makes sense. But discerning the difference. So Jesus turns, says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now I've got to tell you a little bit about that line. Because in the pastor's family, you of course always talk in scripture when you're talking to each other. So my family and I have, <laughs> apparently you know that's not true. So Kara and I especially have loved this line, get behind me, Satan. Right? So anytime somebody's doing something that you don't approve of and you want them to stop it, you say, get behind me, Satan. All right? Now Kara took this to university, to Guelph University, and apparently taught it to her friends, who are also now quoting scripture, at least this line. But her friend kind of misunderstood the context. And so somebody broke glass on the ground, and to protect Kara, her friend said, get behind me, Satan. I guess that's my fault for using Scripture out of context. You'll now remember this passage. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind, here it is, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is, this is our big discernment question. Is my desire for joy and peace and happiness a human concern or a godly concern? Is my passion and desire... Be clear, I'm not saying we should not want joy and happiness and peace in life. That is actually the goal. But Jesus' way of getting to that goal is really the key here. His way of getting to the goal of joy and peace and happiness is through suffering with and for. All right? Our calling, as strange as it seems, right? Peter's reaction is good. How about we just skip to the good stuff, Jesus? Why would we let you go to the cross? And his answer, of course, is because the cross is needed. Sin must be atoned for. Pain must be absorbed. Brokenness doesn't go away just because you stop talking about it. That's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks. We need to be open and honest about that which is broken in this world and in our lives so that we can feel it and bear it and bring it to God together. Jim, thank you, by the way, for illustrating that so fabulously in your prayer today. Right? You absorbed what we are feeling, what folks here are feeling, right? and you took it to the cross. That's our calling as the people of God. To become self-denying disciples. This is the primary identifier, 
have a disciple. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Another translation is basically this. If you really want to find deep-seated joy and happiness in your life, serve someone and not yourself. And it's totally counterintuitive, all right? If somebody says to you, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, that's crazy, give them a high five because they've nailed it, right? This is counter to the natural way of thinking. That's the whole point of Christianity. That Jesus came in and said, I know you want to go directly to what is good for you, but I'm going to tell you that the path to the deepest joy in this world is through bearing one another's burdens, of carrying each other's crosses, of entering into each other's challenges and suffering, and allowing me to lift you up through there. And in some ways, it's sort of like this. Unless you've experienced the cross, you don't fully understand resurrection. Unless you sat with someone in their pain and felt it with them, you have very little to say to them about hope and healing and restoration. People can tell when you're just there. And they can also tell when you've entered in, when you sat with them, when you were present, when you were showing Jesus' self-denying, self-sacrificing kind of love. And the result in the Jesus story in Matthew 16 is suffering servant souls. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can you, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, let me translate that word soul for you because for many of us, again, we sort of think of soul as that spiritual part inside of us that when we die, it comes out of our body and it goes to heaven so that we have this disembodied soul in heaven. That's Plato. That's not actually the Bible, by the way. Okay? In the Bible, the soul is probably better translated your deepest, truest self. The very heart of who you are as a human being. Right? So read this passage understanding that. What good will it do for someone to gain the whole world, all kinds of stuff and power and whatever it is, but forfeit who they truly are? That's what it's all about. This isn't for only after. This is for the right now. Why pretend on all kinds of levels? Why gather as many things that give you some sort of a name or a place or a standing in this world and lose out on being exactly who you were called to be? And who you were called to be is, of course, a self-denying disciple, a suffering servant, a person who will find the truest depths of reality by grieving with someone who grieves. Right? Have you done this? Have you entered into someone's place of pain? Have you cried with them and felt with them the anguish, the struggle, the turmoil? Have you prayed on someone's behalf, God, I have no idea what to pray for here. I have no idea what words will help. And in doing so, have you also experienced that somehow God used that goofy ignorance on your part, that willingness to enter in, to change their life. Carol was telling me that one of the things Hannah's struggling with is walking with somebody who's gone through some great suffering. And of course, Hannah just came out of seminary, so this is what you learn when you're in seminary. I must have an answer to this because they spent all these years giving me all these answers and I stuck them in my head. And she said to Carol, something to the effect of, I don't know what to say. 
right? And I hope what you said back, Carol, was perfect. Now you're ready to minister. I have no idea what to say. I'm just going to be present here with you in this moment. I am going to suffer with you. Yes? Servant of God, yes? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm clear, but we can talk a bit later on exactly what you mean. Sorry. And the reason I didn't ask you a question earlier is I thought you were just praising God as I was talking, not... Okay. We'll catch up afterwards. Sorry, I just missed your cues. So, I think... When we say church, we need to think of it as a culture of concern. A place where people are wondering how other people are doing and where they can get involved, where they can help. Right? It's a culture of celebration, but one that recognizes that we celebrate because we've walked the journeys together and entered into the depth. I think the call of God is for a deep-seated selflessness. That very core of what we struggle to be in Christ is like Christ. Our concern is, what can I do for another? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, Philippians 2 says, then humbly value others above yourself. Value others above yourself yourself as you probably know we have and promote all kinds of opportunities here for you to be a part of somebody else's life right if you want to experience service help out with eye care if you want to experience service in a selfless way you're not knowing these people you're not building a relationship with these people evil and you're just saying i'm giving my time for you and often they wonder why do you do that if you want to do selfless service you can get involved in something like mccarty court either in the Bible study and the child care part of it or in the painting or in any other way. Right? It's building those relationships. And of course, you have hundreds of stories and many of you have told me these stories of you have people on your street. Right? Again, Rob Williamson shared yesterday when he's talking about his dad how his dad would never pass anybody in trouble without stopping to help them out. And not surprisingly then, one of Rob's neighbors came up to me and said, Rob would never pass anybody without stopping to help them out. Right? And in our culture, it it sometimes becomes so much about how can me and my family do well that we're missing this great opportunity. You want to know the greatest thing you can do for your family is take them somewhere where they can serve selflessly so that they learn that and pass that on to the next generation. Because what the church needs to be is this culture of concern that thinks that job one isn't me. Job one is them, whoever they are. And that somehow, in an amazing way, I'm not going to miss out on the fun by first serving others. I'm going to find the true depths of what God has in store by serving others. Remembrance Day. People sacrificing their lives willingly and eagerly that we might live freely. An incredibly Christ-like thing. And of course, at communion, we say, Jesus said, do this. Do this meal, which of course reflects that sacrifice of himself. Do it in remembrance of me. I'm pretty sure 
that those who are veterans of wars, they don't want us just to remember one day a year that they did something and wear a poppy. They want us to do all that, remembering that we have a freedom that we can use to do all kinds of wonderful things in this world. And I'm pretty sure that when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he doesn't mean just take the bread and the cup and have communion and worship me. But live the same kind of self-sacrificial, opportunistic life that I did for you. Because that's where the true glory and peace lies. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God and Jesus Christ, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would move among us by your Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts, our souls, to the opportunities to serve those around us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the discipline to find a way to make that just a regular part of who we are in our lives. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that though sometimes it'll be just frustrating and painful and difficult, there will also be many times when we see that simple truth, that crazy truth, that as we enter into the suffering of others in your name, we with them find true joy and peace and light and life. And for that gift of joining you, making a difference in this world, of building your kingdom here, we pray with thanks to you. Amen. Hear God's word of blessing. The Lord blesses you and he keeps you. He makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord our God turns his face toward you and gives you his peace now and forevermore. Amen.